Hello and welcome to Crossing the 49th, a cross-border tax and financial planning podcast. I'm your host, Phil Hogan, and today we're going to walk through some cross-border frequently asked questions uh, or Q&As. Okay, today I thought we'd go through some uh, frequently asked questions or Q&As. I just dropped off my daughter to school and I have a lengthy ride to Victoria from beautiful Mill Bay. Uh, so what, what better time to... Um, actually get some of these questions answered. So this will be a list of questions that I'll get. Um, I kind of just went through my email and, and, and all the texts and all the questions on Facebook. Um, and these are some of the more uh, common questions I get. Um, and I actually have another list that I might do um, this week. Uh, I think I have 12 or 15 questions. So these are kind of quick hit questions. Uh, I'm not gonna get into real significant detail with any of these. So um, I'll go through in general. And then of course, if anybody has questions about this, one of the best places to ask these questions is actually in the comments to the YouTube um, channel or the YouTube page that the video is posted on. Okay, so let's get started. So question number one, I'm a US citizen moving to Canada and my investment bank is asking for W8 Ben. I actually got this question the other day from a client um, and I've I've received this question um, quite a bit in the past. So if you're a U.S. citizen and you have a U.S. investment account in the U.S., and if somebody's asking for a W-8 Ben, that's actually incorrect. So uh, the W-8 Ben is simply a form that would be required by non-residents of the U.S. that have a U.S. brokerage account. So in cases where you know a Canadian has a U.S. brokerage account and uh, or even have... Um, uh, U.S. securities in a Canadian brokerage account, they might ask for a W-8 Ben just so that the um, the firm knows how much to withhold on specific income, like interest and dividends. So you'll complete this W-8 Ben showing uh, where you're, uh, uh, which country you're a resident in, and what uh, treaty applies to you. That being said, if you're a U.S. citizen, there um, there won't be a requirement for a W-8 Ben. Instead, you'll uh, simply complete um, a W-9 which uh, the W-9 is a very simple form. You essentially just put your um, information, name, address, and your social security number, and they have that on file. So then they know either not to withhold because you're not a resident. So um, the takeaway here is for US citizens, um, if somebody's asking you for a W-8 Ben, that's incorrect. Uh, you're only gonna need that if you're a non-resident of the US, uh, you'll need a W-9. Okay, question number two. CRA asked about my foreign tax credit calculations and now I owe more money. Okay, we get this question quite a bit. So the reason this individual is asking this is because likely on their Canadian tax return, they claimed a foreign tax credit, um, often for income from the US, uh, or it could be income from anywhere in the world, but often from the US. And what CRA will do, and they're in the habit of doing this with foreign tax credits, most of my uh, clients claim foreign tax credits because they're American. They pay U.S. tax in a lot of cases, and then we claim that tax on the Canadian return. Then CRA, because everything is electronically filed, they will. Um, a lot of people think it's an audit. It's not actually an audit. It's a um, it's a review. So they'll review the tax return and ask questions to ensure that the foreign tax credit calculations are um, accurate. They do this a lot because I'm imagining. A lot of people that file their own Canadian returns and doing foreign and do foreign tax credit calculations that can actually be quite complex. Um, get this wrong, so they see a lot of errors. So that's why they kind of ramp up the reviews. Um, we still we get we still get lots of clients um, reviewed for foreign tax credits at CRA, but our um, our success rate is very. I can't remember one 
foreign tax credit review last year that um, got denied. So our success rate's really high. Um, of course, that's because we've been doing this for a very long time. Um, so if you get one of these foreign tax credit review, um, though it'd be a letter from, from CRA. Um, and in, in this question, um, it sounds like they got a letter and then they actually, um, uh, CRA actually reassessed the returns and then sent them an invoice for um, an amount of money that they, um, that they actually owed. So in that case, they likely either, two things would have happened there. So likely they either didn't respond to the letter and that happens a lot. CRA will send you a letter, they'll give you about 30 days. If you don't respond, then they'll disallow the foreign tax credit that you, um, that you claim. If you did respond and you didn't give either the right information or your foreign tax credit calculation was wrong, they'll just reassess the returns and then you'll owe a different amount of tax. Um, so I won't get into the details about how we calculate foreign tax credit, just know first, if you get a letter from CRA asking about uh, anything really, uh, foreign tax credits, medical uh, expenses, donations, make sure to respond to it. If you don't respond to it and they reassess it, you can resubmit the review documents. Um, and then if you're not sure if you've done the foreign tax credit calculations or any calculations properly and they disallowed amounts, make sure to reach out to um, you know accountant or cross-border professional that does these foreign tax credit calculations. Okay, so that was number two. Number three, I'm an American living in Canada selling my home. Will I pay any extra tax? Of course, we're getting this a lot. And we got this a lot last year because a lot of clients and prospective clients were selling their Canadian properties. I mean, we're in Victoria. Um, I mean, the inventory was quite, quite low, but quite a few property sales from, from our standpoint anyways. Uh, so Americans living in Canada, will they pay tax on any uh, principal resident sales? I'm only gonna talk about principal resident sales here. Um, in, so principal resident sales in Canada, will you pay any tax in the US? And I'm actually, um, the next podcast that will actually be in the podcast studio will be on this topic. So I wrote, I wrote um, an article about this specific topic just a few, or about a week ago. So that's posted on the blog so you can check it out. And I'll put, I'll put a link to that in the description here. Um, and then uh, when the, uh, the episode is posted, um, you'll be able to not only see um, the episode of how the foreign tax or how the uh, principal residence uh, gains are calculated for both Canadian and US, uh, but you'll be able to see the accompanying article. So in, in short, if you sell your property, your principal residence property in Canada, and we're going to assume that it was your principal residence for the whole period of time that you owned it, therefore uh, you shouldn't pay any tax in Canada. So you, know, you sell your principal residence in Canada, you don't pay any tax. Now, how does it work on the U.S. side? So the U.S. side is actually quite different. You don't get a full principal residence exemption in the U.S. So the way the U.S. works is if you lived in the property for two out of the last five years, you have the ability to claim a foreign, uh, a uh, principal residence exemption. Um, and that would be $250,000 for an individual that's single or married filing uh, separately or $500,000 for joint filers. So what you have to do is you have to convert that gain in uh, the gain in Canada to US dollars. And if that gain is above either the $250,000 threshold or $500,000 threshold, then you might actually pay tax in, um, in the US. So um, let's say you, you, know, you sell your property um, for 
you know, a million dollars and you pay $200,000, you'd have to work out what that would be in, in US. So you would convert the purchase date at conversion rates at that specific date and then the proceeds um, at the um, selling date. So you'd have to actually use the specific foreign exchange rates. And I have this in the article where I actually mock up a, um, a spreadsheet that does the calculation uh, for you. And I'm actually also going to, um, I'm going to try to develop a, um, I'm going to try to develop a, sorry, <laughs> this is me doing this in the car, which is trying to be very safe about this. Um, I'm going to develop a, an actual calculator to do this online. So I get so many questions and I think um, the calculations are not terribly complex um, with the right inputs. So I'm gonna to try to do that. So everybody will be informed once, once that happens. So yeah, long story short, if your gain is over 250 for single filers or 500,000 for um, uh, married filers, you might actually pay US tax. So, um, you know, real simply, you know, at the highest rate, 20% capital gains tax on, um, your capital gain in the U.S. on your principal residence, plus the net investment income tax of 3.8%. So for anybody that doesn't remember, uh, when Obama was in office, uh, they introduced a 3.8% uh, net investment income tax, which is really just um, extra tax on high-income earners that have investment income. So that uh, net investment income tax um, didn't go away when um, Trump became president. That, uh, that stuck around like most taxes do. So that would be an extra tax on top of the uh, 20 or 15% tax you pay on the capital gain in the U.S. Uh, once again, much more information on this when we do the podcast. And I hope I actually to film that in the next couple of days. So hopefully within a week, we'll have that podcast on principal resident sales up. Okay, so that was question number three. Question number four. When I get my Canadian citizenship, citizenship, will I lose my U.S. citizenship? So we actually get this. We don't get this question as much as we did before, but we still get this question quite a bit. If you move to Canada and you're a U.S. citizen and then eventually you get your um, uh, Canadian citizenship, uh, you will not lose your U.S. citizenship. And of course, I'm not an immigration lawyer and these are questions you want to ask a lawyer. Um, but no, just by virtue of getting your Canadian citizenship, you will not lose your U.S. citizenship. I have many clients that are dual citizens uh, of, of Canada and the U.S., uh, so that's certainly not the case, but that's, that's a question we get all the time. Okay, question number five. Is my inheritance from the U.S. taxable in Canada? Now, I get, we get this question a lot because maybe the confusion about what an inheritance is or how it's treated for tax purposes. So very simply, um, and this, this would be the case whether it's an inheritance or, or a gift, for Canadian purposes, you're not taxable on any Canadian gifts or inheritance. So use a very simple example. Let's say, let's say from the US, uh, your, your, uh, let's say your grandmother has passed away and uh, she, um, she gifted you or you inherited uh, $500,000. If that $500,000 came to you in cash, uh, and let's say you were just a Canadian, uh, that would be tax-free uh, from a Canadian standpoint. Now, any income earned on that 500K after the fact uh, will certainly be taxable, but the $500,000 in capital will not be taxable to you as an individual. Now, of course, this gets much more complicated when in, uh, individuals inherit uh, uh, taxable accounts, uh, IRAs, Roth IRAs sometimes. Um, they'll inherit assets within a trust, so they'll be the beneficiary of a trust. 
so that could really complicate matters. But that being said, still in most cases, the actual capital will not be taxable to you. There are cases where we have US trusts that roll over to generations and they have generation skipping trusts and sometimes cost basis are not, um, not adjusted for um, death on the US side. So in rare cases, you might actually inherit very old cost basis from um, you know, grandparents or parents. So that could actually be problematic. But in most cases, if you receive an inheritance, uh, you won't be taxed on that inheritance, but you will be taxed on income on that money going forward. Um, and also, quick sidebar, just note that if you do receive money from a U.S. trust, there's that T-1142 form to file. So uh, similar to the 1135, not as uh, complicated, um, but just know if you receive income from a foreign trust, um, you have additional compliance requirements. Okay, so next question here. Can I deduct my RSP contributions on my U.S. tax return? We get this question a lot too. Um, no, you can't deduct your U.S. or you can't deduct RSP contributions on your U.S. tax return. Um, that being said, even if you could, uh, it likely wouldn't make a big difference. And that's because, you know, we tend to pay more tax in Canada than we do in the U.S. So even if you did grind down your U.S. tax rate, um, you would likely have enough Canadian tax offset any Canadian uh, source income. Now, that's not always the case if you have, and we, we, we find this sometimes where we have a client Let's say you have a client that's accumulated a very large RSP contribution uh, balance, let's say have $100,000 of room, and in one particular year they have really high income, let's say they have $500,000 of income they want to use, that $100,000 of contribution room. What can happen is you can grind down your Canadian rate to a point where it's actually below the U.S. rate, which means you wouldn't have enough Canadian tax to offset any U.S. tax on, uh, on foreign tax credits, and you might actually end up owing uh, more uh, more U.S. tax. So in those cases, what we would do is we would just simply carry forward the RSP contribution to the next year, just so clients aren't paying us unnecessary U.S. Um, U.S. tax. So yeah, in general, you can't deduct your RSP contributions on your U.S. tax return, but in most cases, you wouldn't need to or want to anyways. Okay, so last question here before we wrap up. I live in Canada, so should I contribute to my IRA or to my RSP? So great question. In most cases, it makes sense to simply, as a Canadian resident, even dual uh, dual citizens, it simply makes sense to con, uh, contribute to your RSP because that will reduce your Canadian tax liability. So even if you contributed to your R, to your IRA, uh, IRA, you couldn't deduct it on your Canadian return anyways. And even though you might be able to reduce your income on the US side, it won't make a, an overall difference to your tax position. Um, so that wouldn't be advisable. So in cases where you have an option to contribute to your RSP or your IRA, you would certainly want to choose to contribute to your RSP. Because um, at the end of the day, we just want to limit the amount of tax you pay overall. Canadian rates are higher. You get the deduction in Canada for your RSP anyways. Um, so we want to take advantage of the RSP for Canadian purposes. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that, that was a lot of questions to get through. Uh, once again, we went through this very quickly. Um, I would love to hear your comments. If you have any questions on any of these topics, drop them in the comments below. I really do try to answer any question that comes through um, YouTube specifically. Um, uh, helps with the engagement, helps answer questions for other individuals. Um, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so. Um, and then at, at, at a further point, you could even click the alerts button at the top. As soon as a new video is dropped, you'll be alerted. 
once again, thanks to everybody for all the support on the channel. We're over 400 subscribers um, uh, this morning, which is amazing. I think 410 or something. So uh, let's keep that up. Uh, once again, thanks again for all the support. Uh, reach out, phil at philhogan.com if you have questions. Uh, and we'll see you on the next one.